Welcome to the second episode of the Big Screen Batman Podcast. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. On the 14th of the month, each month through 2014, we're going to be looking at one of the 12 big screen incarnations of Batman or Batman franchise characters. Last month we looked at the 1943 movie serial with Batman. This month we're looking at the 1949 Batman and Robin serial. Now, unlike the Superman serials we talked about in Silver Screen Superman last year, this time, when they came up with the second serial, they replaced almost the entire production crew. There's actually only two members of the whole staff that they kept. So the producer, who seems to be the one who put it all together, was Sam Katzman. Now, his career started in 1933. He's got 241 production credits over 40 years, ending in 1972. And looking at how quickly packed together they were in this era, He's probably one of the producers that when they're this prolific, they're mostly hands-off. They sign the checks, put a few people together, but provide little creative input. Now, if they've hired the right people, that can be a very good thing and a great approach. Katzman is probably best known for Earth vs. the Flying Saucers, The Corpse Vanishes, It Came From Beneath the Sea, and Kissing Cousins, starring Elvis. There's no apparent preference for genre on his IMDb listings. He seems to basically be all about what's the wise investment. So it doesn't care if it's horror, sci-fi, comedy, if it looks like the kind of thing that can make him money, he'll do it. So one of the people he brought on board was Spencer Bennett who was the same director as the Superman serials we discussed last year. Now, as this one is 1949, that means it was released between the two Superman serials. So after the 1948 one, before Adam Man vs. Superman in 1950. We also have writers of John Poland, who was on both Superman projects, Royal K. Cole, who was just on the Adam Man vs. Superman, and George H. Plimpton, who was on both Superman serials and a number of other things. We discussed them last year. The director of photography in this case is Ira H. Morgan, who's got 185 credits to his name, ranging from 1916 to 1957. He passed away in 1959 at age 70. Now, his credits include Chaplin's Modern Times, the 1933 horror classic Vampire Bat, some Charlie Chan movies, West Point with Joan Crawford. There's a lot more there. So this is a very talented director of photography, more than you'd guess based on this project. The lack of imagination, and this one is likely a side effect of the lack of time and budget to do anything that requires imagination. Now, the editors are Dwight Caldwell and Earl Turner. Each have about 100 credits to their name on the IMDb, so Dwight has 112, Earl has 90. These are the only two guys who are carried over from the original Batman serial. They also did both Superman serials. So they've edited all four serials we've discussed so far in this series. The art director was Paul Palmentola. He's got 193 credits, many of which are paired with producer Sam Katzman. So when you get these hands-off producers, a lot of the way that they are able to maintain that hands-off attitude and know it's going to work together is by using the same crew or a lot of reliable crew members time and time again. Same is true for set decorator Sidney Clifford, who worked on a bunch of Sam Katzman titles, as well as Bewitched, The Donna Reed Show, and a few more. We also have musical director Misha Bakalainikov. I probably butchered that. First name is spelled M-I-S-C-H-A. Last name is B-A-K-A-L-E-I-N-I-K-O-F-F, at least in Romanized or Latin letter spellings. Originally from Russia, 471 credits, some as conductor and many as stock music composer. So the question is, what's a musical director? There's no composer for this one. There's no music by, there's just musical direction. So what is that? On the time of the serials, the turnaround time was very, very fast. So they'd often start releasing earlier chapters before they'd finished filming the later chapters. And that was just something that they'd do to help recover some of that investment money before they spent everything that they had. So that 
enabled them to up the budgets a little bit, provided they were willing to take that risk. Not everyone was. But when you're doing that, your turnaround time has got to be fast. So one of the things that they did was choose not to hire someone to come up with a new musical score for the project. Instead, they hired someone to go through the stock music or the music that the production company, Columbia in this case, quite literally had in stock and figure out which pieces of music to graft onto the action they're seeing. So there's nothing new created here. They just took music that they had sitting on the shelf and slapped it on top. And it plays through most of the four and a half hour runtime. Now, the cast members were pretty much all new as well. They do credit more than four people here. There's still a couple of omissions, but they've got more like 12 people credited. So I don't think it was a game about trying to cut the costs that way. So the characters that we see credited include Batman and Bruce Wayne, both played by Robert Lowry, who was age 35 at the time of release. And his take on the character is pretty similar to the 1943 incarnation, just without the racism. It's really playing up the playboy Bruce Wayne angle again, where he's, you know, playing lazy. You'll also see Lowry in McClintock, Circus Boy, Adventures of Rin Tin Tin, and a number of other titles. The one that's most notable in a Batman podcast is the 1940 Mark of Zorro. This is notable because this is going to be later identified in the comics as the movie that the Wayne family was coming home from when Thomas and Martha were killed. Now that hadn't been established in the comics at the time since Batman's career started in 1939 and that movie came out in 1940. So that was a retcon to accommodate the sliding timeline of comic books that came in later. Now Robin or Dick Grayson are both played by Johnny Duncan who was age 25 at the time of release, which makes him a little old to be a boy wonder. He's got a fairly long list of acting jobs on the Internet Movie Database. He's got 68 credits, but a lot of those are not actual credits because he was uncredited. His last two jobs, he was uncredited, which were Second Stretcher Guy in Plan 9 from Outer Space and Beheaded Corpse in Spartacus. The love interest in this movie is Vicky Vale, which is reflecting the changes in the comics. By this time, Linda Page had been sort of written out and Vicky Vale had been introduced. She's played by Jane Addams, who also played in House of Dracula in 1945, and a few other horrors and serials. Another point of interest, her last credited work is a season one episode of Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. Commissioner Gordon is played by Lyle Talbot, who went on to play Lex Luthor in Adaman vs. Superman the following year, and... To this point, is probably the Lex Luthor that's still most faithful to the most common comic incarnations. He also played a number of roles for Ed Wood. Now, the other credited characters are for characters who didn't exist in the comics and were created for this serial. There's character actor William Fawcett, who plays Professor Hamill. There's actor Leonard Penn, who also had his final job uncredited as a corpse in Spartacus. He plays Hamill's attendant, Carter. There's Rick Fallon, who's got 165 credits, mostly bit parts on the IMDb. He plays Barry Brown. Michael Whelan has another long list of small parts as Detective Dunn. And then when we get into the uncredited actors, here is where we finally find Eric Wilton, who plays Alfred Pennyworth, again without a credit. So he's still a tall, thin, older guy with a mustache, but he's no longer a bumbler. He's more of a traditional bumbler. We also have a small part for actor Wally West, who was in the Superman serials as well. That's it for the cast. Now, in terms of the serial itself, with the serial structure, we do have fair cliffhangers once again. So when there is a way for the characters to get out of the situation, the viewer sees that way. So the basic plot is that Professor Hamill has developed a machine that lets him control any vehicle by remote. Doesn't matter if it's a car, a boat, a submarine, a plane, anything. He's also bound to a wheelchair, but has created a ray that lets him stand for long periods of time, although nobody knows that. A criminal called the Wizard has stolen that device and is using it for 
theft and for ransom and a number of other plans and plots. Eventually, Hamill comes up with a neutralizer ray that also gets stolen, and when the rays converge, it turns the subject invisible. So this criminal called the Wizard is an anonymous criminal. He's got a number of people working for him, but nobody knows who the Wizard is. There are three identified suspects early on. There's Professor Hamill himself, even though he's confined to a wheelchair. But Batman recognizes, well, he could still be the brains behind the operation. That doesn't rule him out. There's Barry Brown, a local DJ who keeps getting breaking news from anonymous sources. And the third suspect that we see running through it is Detective Dunn. He's a PI who keeps showing up in suspicious places, but claims to be running his own investigation, because he wants to see this stop just as much as everyone. He just doesn't want to work with the police. There's really only one viable and likely suspect going on for the first 12 chapters. There's a new suspect who's brought up in chapter 13, who's the second one that really is viable. I don't want to spoil the ending, but it is set up fairly well with enough red herrings that at least I was questioning for the tail end of this. But unfortunately, the serial format is not a great fit for the story. This is not a four and a half hour story. There's some detours, but they take you to dead ends. They don't move the plot forward. It's just, oh, we think there might be a clue over here. Uh, No, there's not. Or Batman and Robin foil another crime, but oh well, the wizard's still out there. He still has a machine. We just stopped him today and didn't get any closer to figuring out who he is. You could probably skip over chapters 2 through 12 and chapter 14 and not really miss or question anything. Well, you might question why Batman and Robin don't show any surprise when they see Professor Hamill walking around instead of being confined to his wheelchair, but you'd be questioning that anyway. That's not explained in any of them. The viewers know that he's been able to walk around since chapter 1. The characters don't till they see it happen, and they just take it in stride like there's nothing wrong. It is more watchable than the 1943 version, partly because of the lack of overt racism. I say overt racism, because every single character in this movie is Caucasian, and only one of them is female. So there's no racial slurs being thrown around, but there does seem to be some pretty racist casting going on. So if you enjoy the serial format, you'll probably enjoy this one. It is a pretty stock serial from the 1940s. It doesn't really leave a lasting mark on the Batman mythos. There's nothing I can think of or I can see in here that didn't start somewhere else. Anything I thought might be, I googled it, it was showing up somewhere else first. So I'm not going to tell you to actively avoid it as I did with the last one, but I wouldn't say to actively seek it out either. It's mostly worthwhile if you're interested in seeing a typical serial format from the 30s and 40s right down to the reused footage and that sort of thing, although it's less pronounced here than it was in Superman. So, because so much of it is so standard and not a huge impact on the Batman mythos, there's not a lot else to talk about this month. We should have a lot more to talk about next month. It would be another 17 years before Batman made it to the big screen, and the next time that happened, he was played by Adam West. So please join us again on the 14th of next month when we discuss the Adam West-Burt Ward Batman the Movie from 1966. Thank you, and please join us then.